Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Uh, well, we are in the middle, smack in the middle of our series that we titled In Formation. And we've been looking at, at what it means to continually be in a place of being formed by God as once we step over in from death to life and as we embrace the truth that God loves us and he's made that love known he demonstrated his love for us and that while we didn't care about him while we were yet sinners Christ died for us that God has been pursuing us this whole time and we say yes I believe that I embrace that, I connect with that, then now we're made alive in Christ, and then from that point forward, and we come to him the way we are, but then from that point forward, it is his desire to form us, to reform us in his image. And as we've been just using this idea, because spiritual formation can kind of be an intimidating subject and just sounds heavy and deep and, and something for somebody else. And, and, but it's honestly, spiritual formation is for all of us and we should continually be in it. And it's not just a Sunday morning thing. It's an, it's an everyday thing. And just to make it a little more accessible, we've just looked at this good old stuff called Play-Doh that... And that are some of the first times that we can remember in a tactile, visceral way that we had something that we could conform to our will and begin to shape and to shift and to change and to make it become something that existed in our mind and then begins to take on some existence in some sort of 3D world and we begin to, to shape things and form things and see some sort of image of, of a person begin to, to come alive and, and we begin to shape some things. And we've been looking at what that means and, and looking at what, what it takes to allow God, and that is what it is, allow God to begin to form our lives. And so let's go ahead and get into your notes. Let's begin to get into the middle of this. And, and we've looked at this idea every time that um, to truly move forward in God, um, we must let him form our lives. And we've been kind of looking at Romans eight twenty eight Again, we tend to relegate that. If you've been a Christian for a long time, um, we tend to relegate this to the, to the ugly, broken moments of our life, but it's not one of those. It is for that, but it's not only for that. And it's really about every piece of our life. But let's read it in a, in a more traditional translation. Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that in all things God works together for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For, though, <clears throat> for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. For us to be conformed to his image, that's where we're going. We're going into the image of his son. And to just shake it up a little bit, to just help us to get, because sometimes we can be overly familiar with a passage of scripture and we think we've got a good idea of what it means. And let's revisit it from the message translation. And Eugene Peterson put it this way. He said, that's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God, every detail, all pieces of it, every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good 
God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. This thing that God is doing in us is carrying us forward into Christ's likeness. If you ever wonder what God is doing, how he is wanting to reform you and how he is where he is taking you, we just look to Jesus. Jesus is the one. He is the, he is the intended shape, the intended form of our lives. He is, God is carrying us forward into Christ's likeness. And I realize even that can be intimidating because we're like, that, that, that's Jesus. But this is a work that we got to let God do in us. If we will do it, he will do it moment by moment, <coughs> life decision by life decision, shape us into his image. And so letting God form us and form our lives, it means choosing God's way over our own way. We all have a way that we want things to go. We all have it. And a lot of our tension and anxiety and frustration all center around the way we want our life to go. Anxiety comes from what if it doesn't go that way? What do I need to do to make it go that way? Uh, a bunch of our frustrations come is when things don't shape up and, and don't turn the direction we want them to, <coughs> to go. But our life is formed by the decisions we make. We have an opportunity with every decision to allow God to lead us more into Christ-likeness or we can go our own way and, and have things not be so Christ-like. And decisions can be challenging for us uh, for lots of different reasons. Uh, one of the reasons that uh, decisions can be challenging is simply because in our day and age, um, there is simply information overload. There's just so many options, so many different things. In fact, we just experience this on a crippling level. As we are sitting here trying to decipher all sorts of information about even the coronavirus and all of the different things and what should be done and what shouldn't be done. And there's this source of information says this and this source of information says that and all of these different things. We're like, what on earth? What is true? I don't know what is true. And it is so frustrating. And it is in places like that when we understand that there's information overload that we have to begin to, to remind ourselves to, to lean in and let the Spirit of God begin to shift us. We can do it not on just on big life-altering decisions like responding to a pandemic, but on stuff like we're about to deal with in just a little bit, like deciding on where to go to for, for lunch. Sometimes deciding where to go for lunch can just be a crippling decision because it's information overload. There's just, there's a lot of options. There's a lot of things. And some of you were brilliant and you made that decision last night. You went to the freezer. You got something out of the freezer. You thawed it out. You put it in the oven this morning or the crock pot last night. Or you did something and you made a decision and you're like, nope, that one's done. I can smell it right now. It's going to be amazing. 
amazing. Hurry up, preacher, I need to get to that food. And, uh, and so, and then some of you are already beginning to have a little bit of lunch decision anxiety because you don't know where you're going to eat. And you don't know what's going to happen. And then you get into that space where then you're out there in the foyer. And church is over and you've had the little discussions you want to have with everybody. And then you get with your crew that's going to eat. And then yet somebody pops the question, where are we going to eat? And everybody says the exact same thing. I don't know. And so it's not because... They're literally, you open the doors and it is a desolation. There's literally no food anywhere in this town. I don't know what we're going to eat. No, it's, I can't make up a decision. That's what I don't know means. And so then you begin to throw out some stuff. What, what would you like to eat? And then somebody says this one. I don't care. Lie. Don't tell that lie in this foyer. Do not tell that lie. You care. Because as soon as you say, I don't care, then somebody says, well, uh, why don't we have pizza? I had pizza two days ago, you know. I I really don't care. Just just, just not pizza. Well, what about roses? Man, Taco Tuesday's in two days, and I'm really saving up my roses for Taco Tuesday. So, yeah, yeah, not not that one, not that one. And uh, and so we sit there, and it's just like, ah, Oh, fine, we'll eat leftovers. And you just go home, and then everybody had a great experience at church and then drives home mad, and they're eating some some sad chunk of leftovers because people can't make a decision. And so and we just have that place of just information overload. And then there's times where you just have decision fatigue, just total decision fatigue. You've just made decision after making decision after making decision. In fact, in a lot of leadership stuff, um, they are, they're teaching leaders to make sure to schedule their big decisions throughout the week. That you can only make up to about three big decisions a day, and that's it. And then you're just like, I'm done. My brain's broke. It's tired. I'm done. And so if you've got multiple big decisions to, ha- to take place, schedule them throughout the week. Don't put them all on one big day or don't make them all on Mondays or Fridays or Thursdays. Or schedule because we get decision for fatigue. I've seen this with my wife where we sit there and she knows what time of the day it is. And I go to talk and she's like, do not ask me what we're going to eat. I don't want to hear that question Again, and I'm like, all right, I won't ask you. I will just start cooking, and then we'll just eat something. And sometimes that's exactly what needs to happen, but there's information overload, there's decision fatigue, and and then we've hit this space where we're just getting, all of a sudden, we're starting to have to answer questions we didn't think we would ever have to answer. Has anybody else but me shocked at how many times I have to say I'm not a robot? just to be able to get into whatever I want to log into? I'm like, I never thought I would have to say I'm not a robot that many times. How many robots are trying to get into stuff? I was like, I didn't. Even, why am I even answering this question? Why do I have to do this? What is this? I don't, I don't get it. And we're like, oh, sure, yeah, I'm not a robot. And be able to move on. And then there are things that just blindside us in life. And we're like, I'm not even equipped to make this decision. I'm not even equipped for this. 
All of a sudden, now I'm here. There was no training. There was no, this is, this is just, the fact that I'm having to deal with this is foolishness. And I had one of those years ago whenever I was a youth pastor and we had bus routes. And so we would pick youth up for our Wednesday nights and I had five teams. And so we had five routes that we would go in different parts of the city and pick up young people. And um, I ran a bus route. And normally the, the way you want to do it is you have a, what we call the bus pastor who was there and they would care for the kids and talk to them and keep order on the bus. And there were the main connection. And then you had to, somebody had to drive the bus. You had a bus driver who was, you know, driving. And so we had these teams that we would send out. And I had my CDL and was a driver. And we just had, we were low on drivers and on one particular Wednesday. So I was like, all right, I'll be the one who handles. I'll drive the bus and be the bus pastor. It's not ideal. Somebody has to do it. I'll be the one that does it, and everybody else is able to have two on their bus. So on this particular Wednesday, I had about 35 um, teenagers on my bus. Youth is over. It's time to go and, and return them to their neighborhood and begin to, to go back. So I'm driving along, and as for the first little few blocks of the, of the trip, I'm heading up Bryant and heading north up Bryant, and there's the normal youth noise in the back of the bus, which is comforting. You want normal youth noise in the back of the bus. And, and then for some reason, all of a sudden, the back of the bus, um, it got real quiet with, with little snickers. <laughs> and then um, that's not cool. That's not a good sound. And so you got, I had the big bus driver mirror where you could see the, you know, the whole, everybody. And I glance up and everybody's looking at me. That's not good either. So everybody's quiet and now everybody's looking at me. And everybody is just sitting there. So I'm sitting there and I'm, I can't just stare at them. I've got to drive. So I'm driving and then I would glance up. So I'm driving and then it kind of went back. And then all of a sudden you would hear a little bit of laughter again. And I look up, everybody's looking back at me. Things are like, oh, this is not good. So I'm driving and I just got past the, the loop. I go under the loop, headed north um, on bright three lanes. And in my side view mirror, um, I see a bus seat fly out the window. And I'm driving along and it's just like, that just doesn't compute. And then I see another bus seat fly out the window. And there was, the, there was what was going on. There was a kid was taking the seats and chunking them out a moving bus on the three lanes of Bryant. All at, I mean, they're doing that. And man, and so I'm like, oh my gosh. So I pull over into a parking lot and I'm like, nobody move. Who did this? Nobody says anything. Nobody says anything. So I'm like, all right, that's it. Um, I'm calling the cops. Well, that was not the thing to say. Because all of a sudden that, that door at the back of the bus, it opened up and all but four kids, boom, they bail out. They're out the back of the bus. So then I'm in a parking lot with just kids fleeing. They're just running everywhere. 
And thankfully, my buddy Roy Zesh happened to be driving down the road at that time, sees me with a bus pulled over. Roy pulls in, and he was trying to help me. And these kids are just running everywhere. They're blocks and blocks and blocks from I'm supposed to drop them off to their parents' house. I never got a call from a single parent. Um, Of course, they're not going to say that they bailed out of the bus. Um, And so I'm sitting there and just don't know what to do. I'm just totally vapor locked. I have no idea what to do. I wasn't prepared to handle that situation. I did not know what to do. I knew what to do with other things. And if somebody was to been ask me a spiritual question, I maybe could answer that, even a hard spiritual question. But six seats being thrown out of a moving bus? What? I didn't know what to do with that. And then the kid's gone, and I'm just like, and then, of course, one of the, the, the kid who ends up throwing it out ends up being one of the four kids that stayed on the bus. <laughs> Acting like he's a little angel. He's the one that ends up throwing it out the window. And so we end up going back, having to get them. Some have been run over. Thankfully, no property damage was done other than to the messed up seats that got run over. And it was just like, who can prepare you for this? Just life sometimes just throws you these situations that you're just like, what? Why is this even happening? And we are in this place of making decisions. In Deuteronomy 30, 19, I think is one of the most important passages of Scripture for us to understand our existence on this planet, okay? Deuteronomy 30, 19 says, this day, God is telling the people of Israel, this day I call heaven and earth as a witness against you. This is everything that's ever been created. Day one through five of creation, humanity is created on day six. Everything from day one through five is being rallied and said, you, they stand as a witness against humanity. It says, I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. He's like, you need to understand something. As you're making decisions, you can make a decision that leads towards life, or you can make a decision that leads towards death, but you need to understand your decision does not just affect you. It affects the generation behind you. Now choose life so that you and the generation behind you can have life. We need to understand That here, yes, there's a place that God has created and he has given us everything we need for life and godliness, but we've got to choose it. There are other choices. There are destructive choices. There are non-Christ honoring Christ-like choices that can be made and we see them made all the time. We've made them. And we have to invite God into our decision-making process. John 10.10 says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy that sounds like it's leaning towards the death choice. That the thief, the enemy, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, but I've come that they may have life and they may have it to the full. What, the, what God is doing through Jesus is leading us towards life on every single front. And so what we're about to do is we're about to look at a, a man in the scriptures and some of his decision points and some of the decisions that he made, and how he made them, and they're in different types of decisions. Because one of the first things we have to let God 
help us in decision making is let God's truth form us in the familiar issues of life. Now, this is, in, this is vital, okay? Because the familiar issues of life are the normal stuff. It's the everyday stuff. It's the stuff we just normally handle day by day. Here's the problem is that there are places that our normal way of handling thing may not be fully Christ-like. It may need a little extra honing. It may need a little extra. But we've been able to function along enough that we don't even think about it. And we need to let God begin to speak to us and hone us in the familiar stuff, the stuff that's just kind of common and everyday because there may be a better way to do it. Not that it needs to do it necessarily a full 180, it may not be that, that, the, that everything about your marriage needs a full 180, but maybe the way you interact during the day could, could be a little more Christ-like than it is right now. Maybe as a parent, you don't need a full 180 as a parent. You're not the worst parent that ever existed, but maybe the Holy Spirit in just your everyday decision-making as a parent could use a little bit of coaching, could use a little bit of direction, could use a little bit of help, and you could be a little more Christ-like in your parenting. But you're parenting every day, and you're used to making some decisions some certain ways and doing things some certain ways, and you're not necessarily leaning into, Lord, how do I deal with this kid today? Well, there are moments you're like, Lord, you're gonna have to deal with them because if I touch them, I'm going to jail. Prison ministry right here. And so... Um, but those are hopefully more rare. But it's the familiar places that we need to invite God into. And we're going to look at Peter. We're going to look at three decision points in Peter's life. And here in Luke chapter 5, here Jesus um, gets into the boat, um, into one of the boats, uh, the one belonging to Simon. That is Simon's given name. Jesus named him Peter, which means rock. Um, and so... Peter is the original, the rock, um, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, this is a guy who's teaching who he was brought up as a carpenter in the boat of a fisherman who's the son of a fisherman, okay, Jesus could have built the boat, but Simon says, okay, once the boat's built, I'm the one that knows what to do with the boat. It was, it was Peter's boat. Peter was the captain of that boat, but he was at a moment where now Jesus was telling him what to do inside his boat, a place he was very, very familiar with. And he's now being told what to do inside of it. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. That Master, we were fishing in the time you're supposed to catch fish. And we worked hard at it. We know what we're doing, but we didn't catch anything. This is now, it's the middle of, this isn't fishing time. This isn't fishing, we haven't, we haven't caught. But he's, he's letting his, his place where he's uncomfortable be known. But this is what is critical. It says, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Peter was the expert. It was a place he was familiar. 
He would already establish it's a bad fishing day, and now we're at the worst time of the day to fish. We did it at the good time, caught nothing. But he said, because you said so. There's a space where we need to invite God, invite the voice of the Holy Spirit into these places where we feel like, God, I've worked hard at this. Why am I putting any more energy into this? Because he said so. Because he said so. That it begins to be, and we will see throughout all of these decision-making points, holding what God's word says above our own experience and our own thoughts will allow us to make decisions that lead to life. Peter lets down the nets, and they pull in a catch so big, their nets begin to break. They have to call for help, and other people come in and help them haul in the catch. And in this moment, Peter says, get away from me, Lord, because I'm sinful. All of a sudden, the bounty and the, all of a sudden, Peter began to recognize your way is so much better than my way. I, I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. And, and Jesus fixes that and says, yeah, no, you're, you're in the right spot being right here with me. But he had, he had to let Jesus tell him what to do in his boat, in his space. You're the captain of your boat. You're going to be making the decisions. And you're going to feel like you've got good reasons for why you're making the decisions you're making, but you've got to leave room for because he says so. That's when we're going to see the life change. Then we also need to let God's truth form us in the unfamiliar issues of life. In the I've never done this before. The other was I've done it a million times. This is... I've never done this before, and we're in Matthew chapter 14. And again, we're back in a boat. And they're there in a boat, and these guys are out rowing, and they're trying to get across, and there's a storm, and all of a sudden, they see somebody, some image, walking on the water. And they immediately freak out, and they have a spiritual rationale for it. They have a spiritual explanation for it. It's just the wrong spiritual explanation. They said, um, it's a ghost. There are times that we can see things that are abnormal in our life and we begin to grasp at spiritual, at a, as a spiritual reason and a spiritual response to it, but a spiritual response is not always the right response. There is a spiritual answer, but sometimes we can grab a hold of the wrong spiritual answer, Okay. And so here they are, and they said, it's a ghost. And then Peter begins to, to decide, maybe it's Jesus. And he says, in verse 20, he says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Lord, if it's you, he's out there, there's wind, there's waves, there's all kind of stuff. He's looking, he's like, you know what, that might be Jesus. Facial recognition doesn't work, I can't quite make him out, but you know what? Jesus has done some pretty cool stuff. That might be Jesus. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. And now Peter is wanting to hear what Jesus says. He's open to Jesus' word yet again, and Jesus has a one-word reply. Come on. Come. And that is what Peter responds to. And then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus, bam. He walked on the water. 
Peter got out and he did it too. All of a sudden, Peter is now doing something that is absolutely miraculous simply because he trusted Jesus' word. Simply because he trusted his word. Now, the thing is, is the reason he was willing to be able to get out of his boat and get into something unfamiliar is because he first trusted God in his boat with something that was familiar. God wants to prove his faithfulness to you in your everyday familiar stuff because your life is bigger than the familiar. The calling on your life is bigger than the familiar. The calling on your life is bigger than your boat, but you will never be able to trust God and get out of your boat and be able to do those things until you trust him in your boat. The spaces where you feel like you understand it all, the spaces you feel like you've got a good handle on it, the spaces you feel pretty confident in handling things, you've got to give him that space. And as he proves himself in that space, then all of a sudden you can go, all right, it's now time to get out of the boat. And you're like, all right, you were faithful in the boat, you're faithful out of the boat. And now I can get out of the boat. That is where God is leading us, but every time, It was Peter looking to his word. So he walks on the water and he came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began sinking and cried out. He had his moment. He walked on the water. Now remember, this was so far, okay? They couldn't make it out. They couldn't tell that it was Jesus. Peter walks. It doesn't tell us how far he walks. But he obviously walks a pretty good ways, and so he's right there, and it says immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. It doesn't say Jesus sprinted across the water and went to where he had failed and got it. Peter had walked all the way from a place that he couldn't recognize Jesus all the way there and to where when Peter sank, Jesus just reached down and picked him up. Sometimes we can sit there and we can, and we can trust God and keep our eyes on him when we know it's impossible, But then all of a sudden, as it gets more and more feasible that all this is going to work out, then all of a sudden we begin to look around and get our eyes on Jesus. The more comfortable we get in it, as soon as he took his eyes off Jesus, he was right there. And he just would have kept his eyes on Jesus all the way. They could have strolled right back to the boat together. But he got right up there, and he sat there, and then he got a little comfortable and started to look around in his environment. And then down he goes, and... He gets a saltwater baptism all of a sudden. And so, and then he's there, and and immediately Jesus reached out. He caught him and said, you of little faith. He said, why did you doubt? And then they climbed into the boat, and the wind died down. So there's that space there where we have to learn to trust God in our boat because he wants to get us out of the boat. And then there's a place where not only do we have to trust God in in the familiar and the unfamiliar, but then there's even this place where we trust God when it just doesn't make sense at all. John chapter 6, verse 51, Jesus is teaching, and he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This is the bread, this bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. And then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus is speaking in a metaphor. And they all of a sudden get all around and says, okay, Jesus is trying to make us all cannibals. 
that, that they get all in a twist. They already didn't like Jesus. They're just looking for anything to accuse him. And uh, so, like, how is he going to give us his, his flesh to eat? And then Jesus just like, all right, that's what you want to talk about? Actually, there's something pretty significant that's gonna, that is going to be. And we just celebrated communion together. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you'll have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And he just leaves it at that. We don't understand. The Last Supper still hadn't happened where Jesus talks about the elements. He's just laying out the first part of it. There's still more of this understanding to come when he's finally in the upper room with his disciples. And he just does that and says, you're going to twist my words anyways. I'm just going to drop this truth bomb on you right here with no context and just see what you do with it. And man, people had a hard time with it. And it says on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching who can accept it. Yeah, it was hard because it was incomplete. If you just said, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, and then he just quits talking about it. That's pretty unnerving. And people were like, I was with you, Jesus, till that. I'm out. I'm gone. And so then in verse 66, it says, from that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And then Jesus says, you, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12, and Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. To whom shall we go? He didn't say, oh, no, we get it. We totally understand the, the flesh and blood thing. He's like, no, I don't know. I don't get it. But where are we going to go? You have the words of life. Even in the space where I just don't get it, it doesn't make any sense. I know that what your word says is his life. And so, and that was what kept Peter and the 12 connected. And then they got the pleasure of being in the upper room, Jesus explaining the Passover meal, explaining the cup, explaining the loaf, explaining that stuff that right now, just today, we celebrated and embraced, remembering the body and the blood of Christ that was spilled for us. But Peter had to, could, had to get to that point trusting that what you say is right. What you say is right, even when I don't understand it. And so our bottom line today is we need to choose to choose life. We need to make the decision that we are going to choose what's life-giving because we're making decisions all day, every day. Some of them familiar, some of them unfamiliar, some of them don't make any sense at all. But in every space, the Holy Spirit wants to lead and to guide us. And it's in those decision-making places that we begin to be formed and reformed and begin to become more and more and more of what God had wanted us to be all along. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.